0: actually finishing out the book of uh, Philippians today and so I'll be looking at chapter 4 today as we kind of finish out the series and Shannon will be back next week for those that have missed him. I know we all have so he'll be back next week. Um, So looking forward to that. Um, Quick story as we get started Um, soon after Lindsay and I got married she being a, a good wife as she is she I was like, I'm going to learn how to cook some Indian food so you know, I can cook Indian food at our house. Um, I was like, OK. Um, for those that haven't eaten Indian food or cooked Indian food, it's a lot of work. Okay? It's It takes hours and hours. It takes a lot of preparation. It involves way more things that than your cabinet can hold. Uh, and so it, this, this is a long process. And so she was like, you know what? I'll, I'll pick the simplest one. And so we pick chicken curry, again, Easiest of them all, but still takes a long time. And I was like, my mom makes good chicken curry, so why don't you talk to her and she'll, you know, she'll, she, she can help you out. Bad idea. <laughs> Should have just gone to Google. But um, she was like, okay. And so she calls up my mom. Is like, mom, do you ha-, uh, she calls my mom by name, and she's like, hey, do you have a recipe for chicken curry? I want to try doing it. And she, as you guys probably are a lot familiar with. <laughs> about family recipes didn't have a recipe right she just did things out of habit or out of memory it's all in her head and so she was like why don't you come over and we'll you know I'll cook it for you and then you can see how I cook it and then you can make a recipe out of it again bad you guys know how this is gonna end (laughs) so she shows up one Sunday early morning and uh, because I told you it takes a couple hours to get this thing ready and so she preps the chicken and she starts cooking and so Lindsay uh, is running from kitchen sink to the stove, trying to follow my mom as she's cooking up a storm, trying to figure out what is that? What are you putting? Why is this? Uh, why are you putting this in there? Um, because my mom actually doesn't know what some of the spices are even called in English. So Lindsay's like, yellow powder that smells like this. Uh, uh, not sure if it's a teaspoon or a tablespoon or a pinch. Uh, she, uh, she writes it on everything that she uh, can. And I call her halfway through. She's like, I think, I think I'm getting it. I think I'm getting it. And so, um, that was the bad news, and then she finishes up, Lindsay has something on something close to a recipe on, on a page, and comes home that afternoon and is like, yeah, we're not trying that at home at, by myself. <laughs> and so that was the, pretty much the end of uh, cooking Indian food from scratch at our house. We try and find uh, some uh, pre-made recipes while we try our hands at that. So anyways, I say that story as we look at Philippians chapter 4, because uh, as we kind of finish up chapter 4 and spend some time on chapter 4, um, Paul hits on a couple of themes um, and one of the main themes he hits on is church unity and what it means to be unified as a church body and um, unlike my poor wife who who is trying for, figuring out what it takes to make chicken curry Paul gives us specifically five ingredients that goes into uh, church unity what does it take to foster and cultivate church unity and he gives us five key ingredients to do that and so we'll look at that uh, as we kind of uh, spend some time in chapter 4. Let me read chapter 4 for us, and then we can dive in. I'm going to read the whole chapter, even though I won't spend, um, on all, spend time on all the verses, but I think it will give us a good context of where we're looking at this morning. So in chapter 4, Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, Thessalonica you send me help from my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent So as Paul kind of finish out, finishes out his letter to the church of Philippi, um, he kind of, like I said, hits this theme of church unity and kind of gives you a couple, hits on a couple of highlights that I think kind of feeds into this idea of church unity. But before we even look at, kind of dive in deep into the scriptures and try and figure out what he's talking about, I just want to touch on four things about unity before we get started. So think about what what do we mean by unity like what are we actually talking about so when we when we what we mean by unity specifically is that uh, unity is when we are of one mind one spirit and one mission around the gospel okay so it's while we may differ on a lot of areas we may differ on how we do things we agree on the mission around the gospel and so the fact that we are children of God reconciled to God supersedes all of those differences and brings us together so that's the kind of a definition of unity that I want to work with today. second thing to keep in mind, and I think this is important, is that unity does not mean uniformity, okay? The, it's important again to keep in mind that uh, a lot of times uh, we think, when we mean by unity, it um, looks like um, uniformity, where everybody looks the same, acts the same, smells the same, you know, talks the same way, etc. If you're in a church that um, expects you to be that way, you should leave, right? It's probably a cult more than a church. So um, so a church should not, never expect everybody to uh, behave the same way or look the same way or agree on the same things. What's important is that, that we're, irrespective of our differences, that we're unified around the gospel, right? That we, through love and relationship with each other, are unified around the gospel. So that's the second thing. The third thing uh, that's important to talk about unity is it's why is it important to talk about other than the fact that paul talks about it in this text and that's the text i got today to preach on um it's important to talk about it that because in i'm not sure about you but in my kind of experience when you get a whole bunch of sinners in one room and ask them to love and serve each other things don't always go smoothly right they they you're bound to get hurt misunderstood offended you know be robbed the wrong way that's just all uh, things that you experience. And I think a lot of times people are surprised that they experience these things. Uh, and I'm like, what, did you, what were you expecting would happen when you uh, walked into a room full of sinners? So again, we uh, obviously don't do it on purpose, but this is, this is bound to happen uh, because we are in the process of being sanctified and not already perfect. So again, I think as our congregation grows and we add new folks to the, uh, the midst, and as we think about this potential merger with First Baptist, I think it's important for us to keep in mind uh, that unity uh, in, in the church and unity with its small C church or as Redeemer or big C church, that we keep in mind that unity is something that uh, the gospel or the scriptures exhort us to do. And lastly, before we get in, um, don't you love when the introduction is four points before we get into the, sorry, I just had to say these things. Uh, it's... It's important again. I think uh, something I've constantly seen is people think that unity is an end in itself, right? And I, I just want to specify that unity is not an end in itself. That we don't want to be unified at all cost or at any cost. Okay, and Paul addresses this a little bit in his text, and I don't. I won't have time to go into it. But it's important that on the way to unity, that we don't sacrifice the gospel, that we don't sacrifice the mission around the gospel. Okay, it's not. Uh, we don't want to alter the gospel or the mission uh, as we strive to unity we don't want to crop out parts of the gospel so that we all fit in and get along nice with everybody else that's not the point of unity unity is that in the midst of all the differences and as we agree on the gospel let's put aside all the secondary differences so we can uh, be uni- be unified around the gospel and the mission that the gospel asks us to get behind okay so that's kind of the four things I want us to keep in mind before we jump into the five ingredients that Paul gives us uh, uh, that helps us cultivate church unity. So um, the first kind of ingredient that he jumps into uh, here is, you can see in uh, verse 4, where Paul talks about, uh, in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord, Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Uh, And so Paul here uh, begins his um, exhortation about church unity by saying, Uh, Be joyful. Be joyful. Be joyful people. And joy is definitely a big topic for us to address, and we've talked about it a little bit uh, here at Redeemer. And I won't have time to unpack all of it, but just a couple of highlights to think about as we think about this, what what we mean by joy, or what's Paul talking about when he means by joy. So basically, and I think about joy, it's basically just a deep-seated sense of well-being in the life of the believer. So joy is a deep-seated well-being in the life of believers. So unlike happiness, I think I've talked about this before. Happiness is dependent on happenings, right? things that happen in our lives. Right? That gives us happiness. Joy, on the other hand, is not based on external circumstances. It's more of an internal, uh, internal posture of the heart. And so while happiness is dependent on external factors, joy is cultivated when you experience God's love. It's a byproduct of living in God's love. And so Respective of what's going on, respective of how uh, bad the circumstances are, believers, as believers, I think Paul asks us to keep the sense of joy, keep the sense of uh, joyful spirit within our lives. It is definitely a character uh, that we can develop. It is a fruit of the spirit, and it's something that the Scriptures in other places uh, asks us to develop uh, in our lives. And so, it's important to remember, as you know, what Paul's actually saying here. So. Think about why Paul's even writing this letter to the church of Philippi. He's writing it because he's in prison, a Roman prison. Uh, he wanted to visit the church of Philippi, but he, he can't make it because he's in prison. And so he writes this letter. Okay, And so he's not in, in his vacation home or beach home or wherever. right? He's in prison and he's writing and asking his readers to be joyful. And so it should give us a sense that Paul was not looking to... Or asking the Church of Philippi to wait till everything settles down for us to be joyful, but he says, in the midst of where you are today, in the midst of being a, a Roman colony, be be joyful. And I think um, the reason he asks Paul asks us is not because he thinks joyful people are nicer people. That's while well, that's true, he he knows the God that he serves. He knows that the God that he's relying on. The God that this church is serving is the most joyous being in the universe, right? And this joyous being makes available for his children the eternal living joy that is available in him. And so we as believers, as children of God that live in God's kingdom, have access to the joy that God has access to. Again, I'm not sure if you've thought about what kind of life God lives, but it's probably a very interesting life, okay? And it's a very joyous life. And so we as believers have access to his joy because it's something that overflows from him. And so as believers uh, that are characterized by joyful living, not because everything is perfect, not because all the circumstances line up, but because our lives are surrendered to God and we live in communion with God. And this gives us a sense of joy to, be, to develop. And so think about why that's important for church Church um, unity. Again, like I mentioned, um, when there's misunderstandings, when there's hurt feelings, when there's things that don't go perfectly as planned, believers um, that are joy-filled don't just break fellowship. And, uh, don't break fellowship and just leave, right? They stay and they work through uh, the issues that that they face. They work. Uh, they work through their difficulties. They work through conflict. They work through. Um, unpleasant circumstances because they know that they, uh, they're, they are cared, by, they're cared for by God and that they live in a body of believers that are sinful and in a family that loves them but are not, is not perfect. And so the last thing I'll say about that is joy tends to keep our spirits drenched in humility. Right? Joy, as we kind of strive for joy, as we try and cultivate this sense of joy, it tends to keep us humble uh, in this sense, uh, humble in our lives as believers. So a question for us to think about or for you to think about as, as, um, as you kind of listen to Paul's teaching about being joyful is to think about where, where is your spirit today? Okay, how is your spirit doing overall? Are you carrying uh, a burden? Are you carrying burdens? Are you, um, do you feel frustrated? Is your spirit irritated by the things that is going on in your life today? Right, and if that's where you find yourselves, I just want you to encourage you to uh, keep your eyes on Jesus, look to him, uh, surrender that yoke that you're carrying, surrender that burden that you're uh, holding on to to him, and you'll find that the most joyous being in the, in the universe will share his joy with you. Cool? Second ingredient, gentleness. Right, And Paul talks about this uh, in verse 5, where he says, Let your reasonableness be, be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. The ESV translates um, the word reasonableness. Uh, Some of your translations might have the word gentleness or gentle spirit. I think that's a better translation, uh, kind of as I read through the context of the passage. And what Paul is talking about here is that this idea that um, a unified church operates with a gentle spirit as opposed to an abrasive and heavy-handed spirit. We've all been uh, in ministries or in families or in workplaces that are operated with an iron fist. Right or nine lung, in some cases. Right, uh, there's lots of uh, not so nice uh, things uh, screamed at the top of their voices. Right, and a lot of unpleasant circumstances to be in. But Paul's command here is that that we're gentle in every interactions as believers with each other. That it is evident to everybody around you that as believers that we interacted with a gentle spirit, and that it is obvious and known to everyone. So, again, I think I don't know about you, but I've Always wrestled with this word gentleness. Um, I've always seen it uh, bucketed with words like shy, soft-spoken, introverted, um, and I think it's the wrong understanding of the word gentleness. I think gentleness, uh, basically, to kind of frame the conversation that we're having today, is that it's more of a decision to respond to people in light of their strengths and weaknesses, as opposed to responding them out of your own strength. So let me unpack that first a little bit. So it's, it's basically deciding if I'm interacting with somebody. It's basically understand, trying to figure out where the other person is and operating at their level of need as opposed to my level of strength. Okay. So um, I have lots of examples of this because I do this terribly. Uh, <laughs> Lindsay and I, uh, so I'm more, uh, when I come across uh, something that I want to know more about i 'm like on the internet researching doing all these things, and i I just tend to be more of a sponge Lindsay is on more on the other hand is just like tell me what I need to know, and then we 'll just you know move on okay and so uh, a lot of times when we get into these topics that we disagree on, I was like, well, this is what the you know research says this is what it, does, it says its you should be doing it this way and this way I was and she 's like. I'm, I'm tired, though, so I don't want to do it all these ways. And so a lot of times, I find myself operating at what in, the, in, the, in, the, in a sense that where I like to operate, as opposed to understanding where Lindsay's at and operating at that level. And it works the other way, too. You know, she's more emotionally mature than I am. And so um, she has to, a lot of times, kind of figure out where I'm at and operate at that level. And this is true for every person here. Uh, and that's the idea that, that, um, that I'd like to, uh, that's the definition of gentleness that I like to operate with, is that gentle people don't come into a relationship maintaining a posture of superiority regarding who they are or what they've done, but rather they uh, come to communicate that my relationship with you is more important than you being impressed with me. And so I operate at that level. And so, again, yeah, this is very hard. Uh, for you, those are teachers. and We just prayed for all the teachers, and this is one of the reasons we pray for teachers: is compliance is very hard when you're gentle. Okay? People don't tend to take you seriously at times, and so um, when we, when it's, when it's necessary to get compliance or when it's necessary to get everybody to do the same thing or to get everybody to do something faster, right? More of an authoritarian style is better. Uh, but Paul here doesn't seem to be concerned about efficiency or. Uh, getting it done as fast as possible, he's more interested in, being, in you being gentle and, or me being gentle. So uh, Paul here commands us to operate with gentleness as we interact with each other. And so he says, let gentleness be cultivated and be present in every interaction in the church family. And I think it's important for church unity because it helps people feel cared for and um, feel like they're part of the family. Um, Because, I don't know if you've been around people that constantly are abrasive or heavy-handed. You're never sure where they stand on, how they feel about you. And so I think um, it's important that gentleness operate in all of our conversations and in all of our interactions. And I think, and you know, I've seen it been done well in even difficult conversations, whether it's with your child or with with another uh, fellow believer or with somebody whose life is in sin, gentle, gentle, uh, difficult conversations can be had in a gentle manner. And so something for us to ponder here as we think about this idea of ingredient of gentleness is to think about, do we, consider or do we consider the effect of our words and actions before we actually say and do them? I mean, this actually goes for social media, too. If you post, right, do we think about what is it that we're saying and the impact it might have on people before we actually do it? Um, if you, again, I think it's important for us to keep in mind that this characteristic of gentleness is something that's portrayed in jesus too as he uh shepherds us he's known as the you know as as somebody that's uh, gentle with us as we as we're corrected and as we are kind of moved away from sin it's something that jesus uh jesus operates in when he interacts with us and so i I would say if you find yourself in that position of being abrasive or being heavy-handed or saying i'm just going to do it my way um Let me ask you to consider and look to jesus as as an example as opposed to looking at uh, just how you've always operated okay so that brings us to the third uh, ingredient here that paul has listed for us and that is um, to trust god with the outcomes to trust god with the outcomes if you look at um, chapter 4 and verses 6 and 7 paul uh, begins by saying in verse 6 he says do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so I think what Paul is saying here is, as you interact, as you do ministry, as you uh, go about your Christian life and developing as a disciple, uh, make sure that we work hard and work sacrificially, but at the end of the day, the outcomes need to be left to God. We need to trust God with the outcomes. And this is very critical. I should have said, by the way, before uh, I started, all these are sim- simple things and they're obvious, but they're all, as I'm like in every, on uh, all of my notes, I find myself saying, this is hard, this is hard, this is hard. So this one's hard too. And so one of the things that we find, I don't know about you, when I invest in somebody or when I invest in a project, all right, things that I'm doing at work or working towards something, I want to see it come to success. I want to see it come to fruition. I don't like, and I want it to come to fruition at the time that I set out it to be, right? And that's why, you know, that's how I tend to operate, and a lot of you probably uh, relate to that. Uh, Unfortunately, when you work with people and and you work with uh, sinners again, like, there's no timeline, Uh, and there's definitely no timeline that fits our timeline. And so a lot of times, it's important for us to be a church that uh, is unified so that we don't drive people away for us to just minister without an agenda, minister without a uh, without manipulating, and just leave it for God to bring the outcomes. A lot of times, and you guys are probably familiar with, we feel like as churches we need to say the right things or play the right music, create the right ambiance, so that people respond or make decisions. And I think that's um, not how the Gospel lays out or the Scriptures lay out for us how we must minister. Paul says, you know, we plant seeds, we water, we nurture, but at the end of the day, the harvest is, belongs to God and He gives us the harvest. We don't have to manufacture and manipulate people into certain states of uh, repentance or decisions or salvation or anything like that because those things don't tend to last. So Paul says here, as you minister, as you operate, as you strive for unity, make sure you take Uh, trust God trust the outcomes to God by taking to him in prayer and I think it's important uh, I don't know about you again I grew up in a more of a tightly knit religious tradition that conditioned me to think that God and uh, the universe and everybody will only function if I do it right or if I do it this way Um, and if you've operated in that environment before you probably find this very hard to be uh, hard to just let trust trust God uh, with the outcomes and I think it's important for us that we rely on prayer that as we minister sacrificially that as we serve sacrificially we do it uh, not like we do we do it like it dependent on us but we don't trust our hard work we work hard but we don't trust our hard work again very hard and almost asking something impossible but I think that's what Paul's asking us to do is to work sacrificially but trust God with the outcomes and something for us to think about as we uh, think about this this topic of trusting God with the outcomes um, is do we tend to operate from a place of trust in ourselves or from a place of trust in Jesus okay. and so one of the ways you know if you're operating out of trust in yourself is you get frustrated when things don't go your way Again, it's it's possible it's it's normal for us to not feel excited when things don't go our way but is it something where there is you know remotes being thrown at tvs or you know just you know screaming etc etc whatever the case may be or do we tend to just rely on god and be like okay didn't go as i planned but trust god that god will bring to fruition what his will because at the end of the day he always brings to fruition his will and so again if you tend to find yourself in this bucket or struggling uh, to let go of control look to jesus he's got it all under control will bring to pass his perfect will in his time so you can take it take it to all him in prayer the fourth ingredient that paul gives us uh, is in verse 8 and 9 he actually spends um, a little bit time kind of expounding on this uh, ingredient if you may Um, and that is for us to focus on what is commendable in everybody's lives or in the lives of the people that we church go to church with i think it's um, let me read verse 8 and 9 for you. Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I don't think we have to spend too much time uh, expounding what Paul's talking about. I think it's pretty self evident. Um, but I think what Paul, again, is reminding us is that as church, for us to be a unified church, as a church that's fostering unity, we need to focus on things and aspects of about people that are true, that are honorable, and that are commendable in their lives as opposed to fault-finding. Okay? Again, I don't know about you, but I personally know some people that um, practice fault-finding like they're training for the fault-finding Olympics. Right? And I struggle with it myself at times. And so I think it's important uh, that Paul emphasizes that we focus on things that are true and honorable. Again, I probably should say what I'm not saying. Not saying, or Paul's not saying for us to turn a blind eye to sin or things that are harmful in our lives, but rather that our focus must be on things in people's lives that are commendable. Even as we address sin, even as we minister to people, as opposed to, uh, focusing on things that are uh, wrong or things that are that annoy you about them. I mean, I think this is all true. If you're married in the room, um, before you married your spouse, you thought they were perfect, right? And then you married them, and you're like, oh no, right? And this is true actually in, in church communities too, right? You it all looks perfect and uh, well-behaved and well-adjusted people, and then you you do church with them, you do life with them, you go to life group with them, and you know you watch how they parent, and we're like. It's a mess, okay? It's not perfect, okay? <laughs> and so, uh, and so what, what I think is important is, um, is for us to focus on what, what is it that we can find honorable in their lives? What is it that we can find commendable in their lives? What is it that we can find true in their lives? And Paul, says, Paul, Paul encourages us to focus on that. I mean, I, again, I'm um, running out of time, but I want to focus on one, or one, thing, one other thing that Paul talked about. Paul, in this passage, if you look at verse 8, end of chapter 8, he says he goes on to the whole list of what is commendable, excellent, anything worthy of praise, and he says, think about these things. And then end of chapter uh, verse 9, he says, practice these things. So he he is almost assuming that we won't do these things well. That it is hard for us to find what is commendable and true and uh, honorable in somebody else's life. So Paul says think about these things. Focus on these things practice these things, practice being uh, honorable, practice focusing on what is commendable because it's not something that uh, something that we do naturally. Again I think um, the, uh, the the thing, the question that, that I want us to kind of uh, think about is if you find yourself hung up on people's faults or people's um, hang-ups then uh, ask yourself if you find yourself struggling with this specific uh, ingredient. Do we lack this ingredient in our lives, or are we able to forgive and keep, in, keep loving the people around us? Again, it's not saying that we ignore sin, or that we don't address conflict, or that we don't address hurt feelings, but we do all of that with a gentle spirit, but once it's addressed, we're able to move on, we're able to continue fellowship with the saints, as opposed to trying to find a, a different place to do that. And think about a church body that, foster, that cultivates this, uh, this characteristic where things that are honorable, things that are um, true are focused on, as opposed to things that are uh, wrong or things that we're not doing perfectly. And I think that it tends to foster unity and it builds people up as opposed to tearing them down. I think it's important, again, if you find yourself there, I think it's uh, important to remember, and I think it's just a reminder, because I know most of you know this, that Jesus loved us in spite of our sin. Right? Um, and he died; he still died to bring us salvation. And I think it's, if we live with this realization, the gratitude of God's mercy will give us the ability to forgive um, other people, and it will be sufficient enough for us to let go of other people's faults. Okay, fifth and final ingredient for church unity that Paul gives us here uh, is is the latter part of the latter part of the the letter that he gives us, and it, it's basically. The willingness to serve and be served. Okay, and so this is Paul. Uh, I won't read again. Read read the, that section. But um, if you look at the if you look at the passage that uh, Paul focuses on uh, after talking about focusing on what is commendable, verses ten and on, uh, he talks about how the church at Philippi served him. How even when nobody else was serving him, he um, the church of Philippi stepped up and served him. Even when he was in prison, they he served him. And so I think it's important. Uh, as Paul addresses, he spends uh, basically the majority of this chapter, or almost half this chapter, focusing on this section for us to think about uh, how this helps us foster church unity. I think one, as with any family, uh, it is important that the load in the church family is um, shared by everybody, as far, everybody in the family. Okay, so if you um, if you're a part of the family here, and um, you know the expectation, or as, as is with every family, is that you would participate in the life of the church, whether it's serving in kids' ministry, whether it's serving in greeting, whether it's serving in media, whatever the case may be, the expectation is that as a family member, as part of this family, that you're participating in the life of the church by serving. Again, I think it's important for us to keep in mind that um, if the needs of the whole family are borne by a few people, they get burned out. Now they don't, ministry can go well, ministry can grow, and I think uh, it's important that for us to develop church uh, unity, for us to all feel like we're part of the same family, it's important for us to uh, participate in the life of the church, participate in serving, participate in being present and loving the people that come call, and call uh, Redeemer their home. And so I think that's the first thing that uh, I want us to kinda keep in mind as we think about what it means to uh, serve each other. On the other hand, I think, as Christians, we also find I also find that it's harder for us as believers to ask for help, right I think it's something that um, again, whether it's cultural conditioning or family conditioning, asking for help sometimes is seen as not what upstanding people do or what uh, good Christians do, right uh, It means that you have a need, it means that you lack something, and I think that's always A struggle for us to share and ask for help along those lines, or even receive help um, in this in this um, in this area. And so, whether it's um, as something as simple as asking for prayer in something in your life, or asking for whatever the need may be, it's important that we, as a church, as believers, cultivate this habit of asking and leaning in on the church family around us. And I think that might be a little bit counterintuitive for us, but as believers and as a family, it is important that we cultivate that, that if you don't give me the opportunity to serve you, not only are you not being served, but you're also taking away from me the ability to serve you, right? The ability to cultivate a sense of serving uh, for us. So we, and we don't have to wait for Sundays for that to happen. It can be any day of the week, and it can be uh, at any time, of the, any time of the day as it's available. So I think it's important, as Paul kind of finish up finishes up his letter, and for us to keep in mind that um, whether it's uh, pride or whether it's um, laziness or whatever the case may be, that we be willing to serve and be willing to receive help from the family uh, that we worship with and the family that we're growing closer to God with. So here's a question for us to think about as we kind of finish up today. And that is, are you serving uh, the body of believers that you're part of? And secondly, do you find yourself hesitant to ask for help? Are you willing to serve, and are you present and serving in the body that you're part of, whether it's here at Redeemer or somewhere else? Uh, and secondly, do you find yourself hesitant to ask for help? So that kind of brings uh, me to kind of the f- uh, end of the five ingredients that Paul gives us as he kind of walks us through what it takes to build church unity, what it builds to, what it builds, um, what is necessary for us to foster church unity. And so... Just to kind of recap here, the five ingredients. First, let joy rule. Second, let gentleness be evident. Third, leave the outcomes to God. Fourth, focus on what is commendable. And fifth, serve the body and be willing to serve. Excuse me, serve the body and be willing to be served. And if we practice these things regularly, we can foster a spirit of unity that will help us as a church to make an impact for the gospel in this community. I mean, imagine walking into a church that had all these ingredients at a healthy level. What would it feel like what would it be what would it be like how would you feel would you feel cared for would you be feel loved as a believer and as a christian as opposed to having to keep up a image or having to keep up a reputation sounds good man let me let's pray for us and then we'll uh, move into time of communion father we thank you for this time um as we finish up this um, book of the Philippines and think about what it means for us to be a church that fosters unity, that cultivates the necessary ingredients to um, live with unity uh, with each other. As we kind of surrender our lives to Jesus, as we kind of gather around the mission that the gospel calls us to be part of, I pray that these ingredients will continue to uh, be evident in our lives, that the spirit will continue to perfect us, that it will continue to sanctify us that even as we um, sharpen each other, as iron sharpens iron, that we will uh, continue to rely on your spirit. And because we know that it is only by your spirit and by your grace that we can accomplish these things, that we, can, that we only see change when you move and work in our lives. Um, we can do everything that is necessary, but at the end of the day, it is you that uh, needs to bring the change. It is you that needs to bring the harvest. We pray that as a body of believers that we will continue to grow, that we will continue to impact this community that we're part of, that people as they walk in the doors will feel loved and feel cared for, that they will be um, able to find more of you, that they will be uh, able to see a vision of you that is not hindered by all all of our hang-ups and baggage, but they're able to see clearly through us and see you through us. Uh, We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.